Good morning. Good to see you this morning. It's time to get started. If you make your way to your seats, our handbell choir is going to begin our time of worship this morning. you here with us in worship this morning. Thank you for coming and being a part of our service today. If you are a guest, we ask you to please take one of the care cards. They're located there in the pew rack in front of you. Uh, take a minute to fill out your information, and we want to at least send you something from Pitts, and th thank you for being with us. On the back of the care card is a place for everyone to fill in prayer requests, and we ask you to do that also. We want to know what's going on in your life and be praying for you. As you leave today, you can place those in the boxes on the round table uh, and we'll make sure they get to the right people. But thank you again for being with us today in worship. Uh, I want to thank those that came yesterday to our Saturday of Hope. Uh, I, I've been hearing reports trickling back in of all the work that you guys were able to do and um, be a part of. So thank you. 
Uh, we appreciate our breakfast crew, too. They did a great job uh, fixing our breakfast in the morning, so thank you for doing that, guys. And uh, just a great day yesterday. We'll be doing those again, so be listening for those as they come up. Don't forget about tonight. We do have a special call business meeting here, and it has been announced that it was in the chapel. We are actually moving it in here in the worship center. So at 5 o'clock, we'll be going over the budget tonight, our proposed 2022 budget. Uh, and we'll be talking through that, and there'll be discussion tonight. Next Sunday, we'll vote by ballot without discussion. So if you uh, want to pick one of those up, there are some on the tables as you leave today. Uh, just review that. Be ready. If there are any questions tonight, we will discuss those. Uh, the right people and chair people will be here tonight to make or give you the answer to those questions. There is a church-wide Christmas party next Sunday evening. That begins at 5 o'clock down in the core. We are having an ugly sweater contest, so wear that. There are prizes for that. Uh, we told Pastor Scott he could not wear his sweaters with our pictures on them. He did that one year. Put mine and Kevin Knight's, Jonathan's picture. He said it's an ugly sweater. I ordered it like, you're being ugly by putting that on there. So we told him you can't do that this year, so I've already stole your thunder. You can't do it. Uh, we will have soup and sandwich, and we ask that folks sign up to bring their favorite dessert. There's a sign-up sheet in the lobby, uh, so we know how much water to put in the soup. Please go by and, and sign up. <laughs> Boy, there's some bad jokes already. He's going to talk more about that. Anyway, um, we need volunteer, uh, volunteer or volunteers to help transport food to the sharing house. It is a bi-weekly commitment. Friday mornings, they do that. If you would see Dennis Dooley, he does need some help. Uh, if you've got some time on Fridays and can do that, is Dennis here? Oh, yes, Mike, you're back there. I see you waving. Um, did you have something you want to say? Yes. Okay. Okay, so if we have enough volunteers, you can do it actually one, not bi-weekly. It could be once a month or once every six weeks. So if you can help us with that, please see Dennis. Is Dennis in here too? I'm trying to see. Right back here by the post. If you'll see Dennis, if you can help with that. Uh, you can order poinsettias by next Sunday. They're $10. Uh, we'll be putting those out on the 19th. Uh, so if the order forms are at the info desk, you would go by. And then don't forget about Saturday, December 11th at 6 o'clock right here in the sanctuary. The Concord 208th Army Band will be here to do a Christmas concert. I'm sure it'll be great. So that's next Saturday at 6. And then Angel Tree is finishing up. There still are a few tags. If you would like to help with our youth-sponsored Angel Tree, we do uh, get gifts for uh, families that are in need in our area in Cabarrus County. And so go buy one of those trees. You get the tag, uh, get the gift, and then bring those back wrap by next Sunday. And then our Lottie Moon March for Missions is December 19th. All of the funds we raise for that go to our international missionaries. Our goal as a church is $70,000. So be praying about that. We will have a March for Missions uh, on the 19th. If you would like to get these in electronic format, please go to pbcweb.org and get those details. We send those out each Friday, and you can begin knowing what's going on here at Fitz Baptist. But again, Thank you for coming. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and take just a moment to silent your heart before the Lord and prepare yourself for worship this morning, and then I'll pray out loud. God, we thank you for all you do for us. God, we are a blessed people. And God, we thank you that we can come 
to this building to meet with your family, with your church, and to worship you, God. That's what we set this, this time aside to do, whether it be through our music, through singing, through giving, through hearing a message that your under-shepherd has prepared, God, that through all of it you would be honored and glorified. God, there are things in our lives that need to change today. We pray that your Holy Spirit would speak through our pastor, through, the, through your word, and that we'd be willing to make those changes even today. God, we know that in a church this size, there are many needs represented here, God. We pray that you'd be with each of those and give us wisdom in each of those situations, God. We thank you that we had an opportunity yesterday just to love people a little bit and serve them. Thank you for allowing us to do that. It's a blessing for us to be able to do that. God, just give us a great day today. Be with all the events that are coming up here at our church, God, that you would be honored and glorified by them. We ask all these things in your son's name. Amen.
Today is the second Sunday of Advent as we continue our spiritual journey in the preparation and celebration of Christmas. Last week, we were reminded of the hope and expectation we have in the coming of Christ. Though we live in this world of sin and darkness, the light of our hope in Christ is ever-present. But what good is hope without faith? Now faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. In times past, it was by faith that ordinary men and women were justified in the sight of God. On this second Sunday of Advent, we acknowledge our faith in the promises of God. The light of our faith is illuminated in Christ. It is on the foundation of faith that the prophets of old anxiously awaited the coming of the Messiah. It was by faith that Mary believed she would conceive the Christ child. And by faith, the wise men traveled from distant lands to worship the King of Kings. By God's grace, we are now saved through faith. And the one who came, died, rose from the dead, and will soon come again. Therefore, let us prepare ourselves to live faithfully. On God's promise that he would not leave us comfortless, but comfort us in our time of need. On God's promise that he loves us and cares about us. On God's promise that he is preparing a place for us, and he will return again to take us there. Therefore... On this second Sunday of Advent, let us celebrate our faithful anticipation of the coming of Christ. Interesting.
this happy morning, Jesus, to
When we look at the unreached people groups in our part of the world and in most of the world, their preference to learn is through stories, it's through orality. You come in with God's stories and you're seeing His Spirit changing lives. I've seen it, I've told stories, and they listen, and they love it, and they begin to ask us questions. And if God opens the door to where we can continue to tell them more and more stories. And out of that ministry, we began to see we needed more people to do this ministry. Where are we going to get them? We wanted the people that we were training to train other people. And so we began teaching in the pastor's schools, and the, the student pastors were excited about it. They said it's something that we use, it's applicable, it works. They already speak the language, they wear the same clothes, they eat the same food. All we have to do is help them to understand methods and ways that they can reach their people. The people that we're training now are the product of missionaries who came before me. They accepted Christ under these missionaries. We're training them in schools that IMB Money helped to fund, to build. It's an amazing thing. You can pray, keep the mission going. You can give, keeps the mission going. And you can go. Look at me. I used to sell tire supplies. <laughs> Here I am teaching people how to tell stories. <laughs> Thanks for praying and giving and come on over. Amen. <clears throat> Two weeks from today, we will have our March for Missions, and I spoke a little bit about that last week. We, our goal last year was 70,000, and we gave a little over 105,000. It was a record year for us in giving to Lottie Moon. Uh, the deacon body, uh, last month we decided that probably would be best not to raise the goal after all, we don't have to stop giving when we meet the goal. We can continue. But a lot of things going on financially this Christmas season that were not going on last year. Uh, with inflation this year and so forth, uh, we just decided to leave it at uh, 70. But again, we're counting on a record-breaking year. We have two of our young people on the mission field through the IMB in very difficult areas of the world. As you know, we're not even supposed to name where they are. Uh, it could endanger them and their colleagues and their work. And the IMB has told us, and this is something you can go online yourself and see, that it takes $60,000 a year to keep one person on the mission field, not a family but one person, and we have two. And so again, we ask you to give uh, generously this year. I want to bring a message this morning entitled, Hope for Hopeless Times. Isaiah chapter 9, if you would open your copy of the Word of God to Isaiah chapter 9, and we're going to read down through verse 7. Isaiah 9 uh, beginning in verse 1 and going down through verse 7. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word, please? Isaiah 9, hope for hopeless times. <clears throat> but there will be no glory for her who is in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but... In the later time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. 
The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with harvest, uh, as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior and battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Father, we're so grateful for all of the prophecies that we see in the Old Testament about the coming of the Messiah, our Lord Jesus Christ. And certainly this is one of the high pinnacle points in the Old Testament. Lord, this is inspired by your Holy Spirit. And so I pray that now your Holy Spirit would illuminate our minds that we might clearly understand this text that we might see the hope that it brings to the hopeless that we might see the hope that it brings to each person alive today in Jesus name we pray amen In Revelation 21, verses 1 to 7, the Apostle John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself shall be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God and he shall be my son. Folks, think of that day that's coming. Think of that day where the child will play with a lion 
and, and the child, the lion and the lamb will lay down together. And, and the book of Isaiah says the child will even play at the den of the cobra. Impossible, you say. And I would say, yes, indeed, impossible. If we were only talking about what man himself could do. But we're not talking about what man can do, but with what God is able to do. And that's what Isaiah chapter 9 is all about. It describes a coming person. We know, of course, as the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, the coming person who will begin to bring in the kingdom of God until finally he brings it in completely. He ushers it in completely. And that's what Isaiah chapter 9 is all about. It's speaking of Jesus. We know in Mark chapter 1, Mark tells us that Jesus came preaching. The time is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel for the kingdom of God is at hand. But folks, first, the one who was coming had to die as a propitiation for our sins. And he who came the first time will also come a second time. And that's what we're waiting on today. Revelation 19 says of that, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. His robe is clothed and, and dipped in, in blood, and the name by which he is called is written there, the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on a white horse, on their white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And folks, when he returns, everything that we dream of, when we think about the kingdom of God, everything that we dream of will be ushered in. And as David said, King David in Psalm 23, David said, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Revelation 22, that's where the Bible is headed. The Bible moves from a garden where man and woman dwells with, with God, but where sin and Satan enter. But it's headed towards a garden where man, where men and women will dwell with God, but where sin and Satan will never enter again. But first, we know that he has to redeem a people for himself, a people who will live and reign with him throughout eternity, a people who are a new creation through the new birth so that they can live in the new creation. 
And so all through the Bible we see this theme of now and not yet. Now Jesus brings salvation. And yet for now we don't see things like Revelation 21 and 22. But one day we will. Now Isaiah 9 speaks of the Messiah's first advent, an advent, an arrival where he came into the darkness and sin of the world to bring about salvation. But already even in this passage you'll notice this passage that speaks of his first advent there's already glimpses here of his second advent. And so folks, don't miss this theme in the Bible of the now and not yet. Because if you do, you'll end up exactly where the Jews ended up. They rejected Jesus because they thought when he came in his first advent, he would bring about everything right then and there. And when Jesus didn't do everything that they thought the Messiah was going to do right there on the spot, what did they do by way of response? They rejected him. All they could envision was a first advent where everything would be accomplished at that very moment. But you know men still do the same, don't they? What what do men say? They say if God was real, why is there still so much suffering in the world? Why do children get sick? Why do people struggle? Why do we see things like school shootings? I mean, if Jesus was real, if Jesus is who the Bible says that he is, wouldn't he end all of this? Well, again, he will. But in his time. Don't miss the timing. Don't miss the now, but not yet. And we see glimpses of that here in Isaiah chapter 9. I want you to see with me first of all this morning a promise of hope to come. Verse 1 says, But there will be no more gloom for for her who is in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious... The way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You've multiplied the nations, you've increased its joy. You see folks, they were in very dark days during this period of time. There were dark days for both Israel and Judah. You'll remember what's happened. The kingdom split. Israel had been one nation. But they became Israel and Judah under Solomon's son Rehoboam. And Israel is now the ten tribes in the north. And Jeroboam was their leader. And he instructed them to turn to idolatry. He introduced idolatry into the the northern kingdom. He 
He didn't want people from the ten tribes going back down to Jerusalem to worship. Jerusalem was part of the southern kingdom. And so what did Jeroboam do in two different locations in the northern kingdom? He set up an altar with golden calves of all things. And he instructed that people were to go to those locations and worship those golden calves. And so idolatry grew. And once they turned away from the true and the living God, they invited all sorts of evils to come into the land. And isn't that the same way as today? I mean, Paul speaks of that in Romans chapter 1. Anytime we suppress the truth of God and turn away from the truth of God, we invite all kinds of evils to come. And God had given them one bad leader after another. Why will God do something like this? To wake us up. He'll give us not who we need, but who we deserve. To hopefully call us back to our senses. Their suffering only increased, but they refused to come back to God. In other words, bad politicians are part of God's judgment on a land and part of his discipline. And it reached a point of no return in the northern kingdom. And finally God brought in the godless Assyrians to once and for all destroy Israel. And from that point on in the Old Testament, Israel, the northern tribes, don't factor in anymore. And then God turns to deal with Judah, the two tribes that made up the southern kingdom. And he also warned them, and he judged them, and he even took them into exile for 70 years. And yet, God preserved a remnant among them. God always preserves a remnant for himself. He preserved them because from their lines the Messiah would come. It's a testimony to the power of God. God preserved the southern kingdom when he could have destroyed them because he was going to send a Messiah from them and to them. But for now, as Isaiah writes these words right here, it's, it's very dark in the northern kingdom. These are hopeless days. Zebulun and Naphtali mentioned in verse 1 are part of, of, what had been the, or of what was the northern kingdom or what had been the northern kingdom. And they walked in darkness again brought on by sin and idolatry. And they had suffered under the abysmal reign of all these terrible leaders. I think if you could have gone out and done interviews on the streets of Naphtali and conducted them, uh, conducted interviews with them, you would have probably heard very disturbing comments being made by the average man because darkness was all around do you remember the great northeast blackout in 2003 plagued the northeastern United States the Midwest parts of Canada all in darkness 45 million in the United States 10 million in Canada uh, were in Instant darkness, making this the second worst blackout 
at any time in history. Trains and subways came to a standstill. Pumps went out at water pumping stations. So many areas lost their drinking water. Gas stations lost power. They couldn't pump gasoline. Cell phone communications went down. Airports closed down. Almost all of New York State came to a standstill. And Governor George Pataki declared a state of emergency. People were trapped in elevators all over New York City. And those on subways were stranded in subway cars. And, and flights were rerouted to other destinations. Governor Bill Richardson of New Mexico who formerly headed the Department of Energy, said that America was a superpower, but yet with a third world power grid. Europe picked up on his statements and were poking fun at the United States, saying something like that could never happen to them since their power grid was so much better. But six weeks later, the same happened in Europe. Darkness. But folks, Isaiah is talking about a darkness here that is much greater than if we were simply to walk over to the light switch on the wall and cut it to the off position. Isaiah is not just talking about a physical darkness. He is talking about a spiritual darkness, a darkness of the soul, a darkness that is still dark even if you're out in the noonday light. The people of the northern kingdom would have understood these words if they had any common sense at all because they were living it. But here comes the prophet Isaiah promising better days. Something's going to happen. Something that we're not told about until we read all the way down to verse 6. You and I know what it was. Secondly, he talks here about the arrival of a child that changes everything. The arrival of a child that changes everything. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 2 in your copy of the scripture. Pick up reading with me there in verse 1 of Luke chapter 2. Luke says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and, and, and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. The arrival of a child who changes everything. Folks, God's answer to darkness is not simply a military power or another human leader 
who will likewise fail. They had been through all of this before. God's answer was one who may not change their surroundings for the moment at least, but God's answer was one who would change men from the inside. God's answer was to send one who would remove their sin. The change of the outward circumstances would come in time, but first, what's really wrong with mankind has got to be addressed. Because before men can have peace on earth, they've got to have peace with God. And this is something that earthly leaders don't understand. When this child grew and began his public ministry, where did, where did Jesus carry out much of his ministry at first at least? In Galilee. What had been the northern kingdom? Up around Zebulun and Naphtali. And the ten cities around the, the Sea of Galilee. That's the very area where much of the public ministry of Jesus early on was conducted. In other words, what Isaiah is saying, in the very area where you've seen so much darkness, so much suffering, and so much devastation, they're going to be the first ones to see the glorious light of the Messiah. Go back to verses 1 and 2 again. You see, uh, these were the areas the Assyrians came in and destroyed. God allowed this area to be destroyed under the Assyrians. But now in verse 2, he says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You've multiplied the nation. You've increased its joy. The people in the deepest kind of darkness is where Jesus showed up in their midst. Aren't you glad we serve a God who shows up in our dark days? He shows up when we need him the most. It may be in his timing, but he always shows up. But it's not like he's just going to show up like he did in the days of Gideon. Remember Gideon? The Midianites were oppressing the people. Every time they went out to gather in their harvest, the Midianites would show up and overpower them and steal their harvest. And so who did God raise up to defeat the Midianites? He raised up Gideon. That's what Isaiah 9 verses 3 and 4 are referring to. And what Isaiah is saying, the Messiah is going to show up like that, but it's going to be far greater than anything like that. In fact, nothing will ever equal the Messiah showing up. He's not simply going to fix all the woes in the world at the moment. He's going to do that one day. But again, first he's got to address the human heart. Men need to repent and believe the gospel. Jesus came in his first advent. Calling men to repent of their sins. You're going in one direction. Living your own way. Living in disobedience to God. 
And he calls you to make an about face from that, to turn away from your ways, the best solutions you have, the best plans you have, wanting to rule your own life, your own agenda. Turn away from that and turn to Christ and Christ alone to save you. That's what he showed up calling men to do in his first advent. Because you see, it's the heart that's got to be changed first. You can't put unredeemed men into a new creation that only mess it up again. And so for a new creation, you have to have new men who have been born again, born from above, born of the Spirit. Paul said in Ephesians 2, You are dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. You see, we were all guilty. But then in verse 4, Paul says, But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Folks, you see what the Bible is saying that the Jews missed? The suffering servant, when he comes in his first advent, he's coming to suffer, to die, to be rejected of men, to be a man acquainted with grief so he can be your faithful high priest who understands what it's like to walk in your shoes, being tempted in every way like as we are and yet without sin. But he came to die. To change your heart. To change my heart. To make us a new creation in Christ Jesus. That's why coming to church isn't just simply a matter of religion where we check the block. We've been there and done that and we just join a church because it seems like it's the good thing to do. And hey, the pastor even says I need to be baptized, so I guess I better be baptized. And, and we, we come in the old creation, we leave the old creation. Nothing's ever been changed. That's why the Bible says you've got to be born again. Jesus came in his first advent that you might might be born again. And then when you're born again, you're ready for what he's going to do in the future. I want you to see thirdly the ministry and everlasting reign of this child. Verse 6 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. What's this child going to be like? He's going to be a child who will be born and a son who will be given. There's two thoughts here. 
One phrase tells us that he's the son of man. The other phrase tells us he's the son of God. He's the child that was born. This child will be fully human. God didn't send an angel and he didn't send a phantom. He sent his son. John Phillips, a great Bible teacher of our generation, says the great mystery of the manger is that God should be able to translate deity into humanity without discarding the deity or distorting the humanity. How did this happen? Isaiah 7.14 tells us how. A virgin will be found who has conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was born of a virgin. And that's important. He was born of a virgin to share in our humanity. But he was conceived of the Holy Spirit so as not to share in our sin nature. This child, the Son of God, would be flesh and bone. But not only was he born, but he's the Son who was given. In other words, he's fully divine. I want you to understand that when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, he, he, didn't, he didn't have his beginning there. John 1 tells us, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John's saying when human time, when everything as we know it started, the Son was already there. There's never been a time that he has not been. It blows your mind to think about. Jesus was called the Logos, the Word, and a Word communicates. And what did Jesus come to communicate? He came to communicate to us what the Father is like. He came to redeem us and He came to reveal to us what the Father is like. As humanity, He came to identify with us as deity. He came to redeem us and to reveal God to us. And so there's the distinction here in verse 6 that's very important to understand. For to us, a child will be born. That's his humanity. To us, a son will be given. That's his deity. And he's the child whose names here describe his mission. We know that names are very important, folks. They were even more important in Bible days. But we know names are important. It's why parents today spend so much time planning out the names of their children. I mean, we don't just go around saying, there goes number one, there goes number two. <laughs> we plan out the names of our kids because they're important. Names are designed to say something about the person, even more so in, in Bible days. I mean, think about God's names. Genesis 1, Elohim, that's the name used of God, the mighty creator God who speaks and it's done. Genesis 22, Abraham about to sacrifice his son Isaac, God stops him, he turns, there's a ram in the thicket and, and he gives God a new name and he names that place Jehovah Jireh, the God who will provide. King David, a shepherd boy, tending to those flocks out in, out in the fields. He knew that's what God's leadership in his life was like. And so he named God Jehovah Roy, the God 
uh, God who is my shepherd. Names of God. Well, we're given the names here of the Messiah when he comes. We know him, of course, as Jesus. And that name is also given in the scripture. But, but look at what Isaiah says about him. He shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Now, some translations, some people uh, break this into two like the King James Version does. He shall be called Wonderful, comma, Counselor. Most scholars will tell us we need to forget about the comma there and take these words together. Wonderful counselor. He's a wonderful counselor. I mean, think of that adjective there, wonderful. Though describing what kind of a counselor he will be, nonetheless, the, the adjective itself even communicates something powerful. His name will be wonderful. He will be out of the ordinary. He will be an out of the ordinary type of counselor. As Paul says at the end of Romans chapter 11, no one will ever be his counselor. The counsel of men may fail, but his counsel will never fail. It speaks of Jesus being unique and different. He's the marvelous one. The astonishing one. When Moses stood before Pharaoh, he said in Exodus 8.10, He said, Be it according to thy word, that thou mayest know that there is none like unto the Lord our God. He's wonderful. Jesus is wonderful. Matthew 1, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. This little baby boy will be Jehovah God in the flesh, and he'll save us. His name is wonderful. In his birth, he was wonderful. In his life, he was wonderful. In his death, he was wonderful. In his resurrection, he was wonderful. In his second coming one day, he'll be wonderful, and he's the wonderful counselor. He's the one who can come alongside of you. And give you direction in your life. And show to you the wisdom of God. He'll never lead you astray. And we find his counsel every time we open the pages of scripture and read it. Because it's God breathed. And folks that's the key for us today. To receive his wonderful counsel. You've got to take up his word and read it. So many people today want a word from God. But they don't take time to simply open their Bibles and read. In his word we receive counsel. For receiving eternal life. We receive counsel for living the Christian life. We find counsel for how to live in a world of darkness and hatred. He's our wonderful counselor. But he's also the mighty God. He's more than a man. He's the God man. 
And the name here is El Gibor. Deuteronomy 10, 17. Moses first applied it to God. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who does not show partiality nor take a bribe. Jeremiah 32, 17. Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy great power and thine outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for thee. Folks, he's the God who can not only give you wisdom, but he's the one who can empower you to accomplish whatever he's called you to accomplish. In the word, we see his might in creation. He spoke and it was done. In the Bible, we see his power over demons and disease and death. On one occasion, his disciples even commented, Who is this man that even the wind and the waves listen to him? He's the mighty God. He's also the everlasting Father. Because you see, mighty God uh, seems to conjure up I- images. He's out there. He, he, he's too great. He, he, he's transcendent. He, he would never be mindful of somebody like me. And yet this mighty God is mindful of you and me. He's our everlasting Father. And he provides for his children and he protects his children. I wonder how many of you this uh, this morning and this Christmas season need a loving father like this. An everlasting father. You may have lost precious loved ones in your life. You don't have them anymore for the moment. But I tell you, there is one who is always with you. He's the one who is called Everlasting Father. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Listen to what God the Father said about His Son in Hebrews 1. You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning. And the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish But you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed. But you are the same and your years will have no end. He's the everlasting Father. He's also the Prince of Peace. The Hebrew is Shar Shalom, the one who removes all peace-disturbing factors from our lives, and He secures peace. What's robbing you of your peace today or this Christmas season? Is it related to your work? Is it related to your family, your kids, your marriage? Whatever might be disturbing your peace. Well, He's Shar Shalom. He's the Prince of Peace. And you know what? People are looking for peace in the world today and they will never find it until they come to know the one who is the Prince of Peace. Jesus said, in this world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. He told his disciples, my peace I leave with you. Not as the world gives do I give. The peace of this world can be shattered by an accident. By bullet, by virus, by bomb, 
even by the weather. But the peace Jesus gives goes on and on and on. The world's looking for political peace. So many are looking for personal peace. And they're looking for sources that can't provide. They're looking at other human sources that are all part of the fallen creation. And they're not going to know this this peace until they look to the Prince of Peace. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. And I want you to notice a little postscript to this passage that Isaiah includes. Verse 7. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The government's going to be on his shoulders. Think of that. Think of that folks. Government on his shoulders. People are saying today of governments and politicians and polls that our leadership has never rated so lowly, perhaps. But his government's going to be different than any other government that's ever existed. One day he's coming on the clouds to establish a kingdom where justice will roll down like mighty waters. It'll be a kingdom where faith becomes sight, wrong is made right, and where darkness is turned to light. It will be a kingdom of everlasting hope. And that's what we see at the end of the Bible when it's finally realized. Folks, you read what Isaiah is talking about here and you see what God is doing in the pages of Scripture. And and you know, if it weren't for that warning given at the end of Revelation where they, you know, John finally says, even so come Lord Jesus. And we're not, we're told obviously we shouldn't add add to the Scripture then. We shouldn't. But without that warning, you know what I would be tempted to add in there after even so come Lord Jesus? I'd be tempted to add in just a few other words. It is finished. Because he's going to do it. He's doing it now. Every time somebody comes to faith in the Lord Jesus, his reign is set up there in your heart. His kingdom increases. Is that what you need this morning? You need Christ in your heart? You've been trying to do things your way with man's wisdom and perhaps you've made an utter mess out of your life. I don't have to talk to you about that mess. You might be living it right now. You need Jesus. But I'll tell you something else too. Even if you're not living in a mess. In in fact, you might be enjoying life. I mean, you just think everything's clicking along well and good. What do you need God for? You need God. I promise you, you need God. And if you don't see that today, you will see it one day. 
You need to bow the knee to him and you need to come to him, confessing him as Lord and saying, Lord, I want you to, I don't want to just go to church and hear the preacher talk about your reign and rule. I want your reign and rule to be present in my life. Lord, over every area of my life, I surrender control to you. If that's you this morning, come forward. Myself, one of the other pastors would be happy to pray with you. And to Christians, I want to say to you, because we live in a world where there is trials and, and tribulations. There are trials and tribulations. You might be going through such right now, and you need His wonderful counsel. You're facing something in your life that it has proven to be too big for you, and everything you've tried to throw at it has not worked. It might be a wayward child or something like that. Everything you've tried has been a failure. You need his wonderful counsel. Ask him. Ask him. Maybe your heart's in turmoil. Your mind, your spirit, you're just in turmoil all the time. Get into his word. Stay on your face before God in prayer. Ask him for his peace. And he can give you a peace like you can't believe. A peace that surpasses all all understanding because see peace that is understandable is when circumstances are going our way but a peace that surpasses all understanding is when we shouldn't have peace and yet we have it anyway because God gives it that's what Jesus can do is that the kind of peace you need today ask him for it father again we thank you for this prophetic passage and how it just stirs our heart to read what we read here in verse 6. That to us a child is born. To us a son will be given. And his name shall be Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. And the Prince of Peace. Lord, we, we read those words and it thrills our hearts and minds. Lord, we as the church, we know that Jesus is the answer to this messed up world. We look at the condition of this world and we see how far it is from what you created it to be. We've made a mess of things. Lord, may we surrender our lives to you and be salt and light and tell people around us about the one who can bring them peace and wisdom in the midst of the storm. And Lord, I pray that every day in our lives we would live with that expectancy that one of these days we're going to be in that garden with you. A garden where sin and Satan can't enter ever again. And everything we read about in this passage, we are going to see it and experience it in its fulfillment. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. It's in your name that we pray.